0: you have your Bibles, will you please turn to them to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, continuing in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Today we will begin a kind of a series within this series on prayer as we will look in depth at what Jesus's teaching is on the matter of prayer. Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 is our text this morning. This is God's holy, authoritative, inerrant word to us this morning. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. before you ask him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know what we need even before we ask you. And so, Lord, you know that we need the truth, the truth that is here in your word. So we ask that you would lay it upon our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. I think one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is pray. I find cultivating a consistent life of prayer with myself and with my family and and even in the church to be an area of the Christian life that often feels like a chore rather than being the blessing that it truly is to go before our God and Father in prayer And I feel even more convicted as we come to this passage today and we read these words of Jesus. But even so, I am thankful that Jesus takes the time here to instruct us, to teach his disciples about prayer. When it comes to prayer, I I agree with the late Martin Lloyd-Jones who stated this portion of scripture is one of the most searching and humbling in the entire realm of Scripture. Why is that? Why is this section on prayer so searching and and humbling and and even convicting? Well, you may have famously heard of those words from Robert Murray McShane who said, A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. A man is who he is on his knees before God and, and nothing more. And Lord Jones' teaching showed us that he was troubled in spirit for himself and for others because he was most acutely aware of his sin when he got on his knees to pray to his God in heaven. He saw that sin is something which follows us all the way even into the presence of God in prayer. How humbling, how hard and at times even discouraging, that sin battles for our hearts and minds even when we go before the Lord in prayer. And that is what Jesus is addressing this morning. Last week, we began a a new section here in the Sermon on the Mount. That section is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And in this section, Jesus is dealing with the inward motives, our heart's motives. Behind our acts of righteousness. And in this section, Jesus is directing his disciples' attention to their motives in kingdom living. He's showing us that why we do something for the glory of our, heavenly, why we do something for the glory of our heavenly Father is just as important as what we do. Christianity, as we all know to be true, is not just an outward expression only. It's not just our outward acts of righteousness. It's the secret things of the heart that are just as important. And so in this section, Jesus lays out a principle for us that was in verse 1. If you look back up to Matthew 6, verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This principle that Jesus lays out for us is a warning against hypocrisy. And this principle, he is going to illustrate hypocrisy and giving to the needy that we looked at last week. This week and subsequent weeks, prayer. And then in the final section, in verses 16 through 18, he's going to address Fasting. In this principle of hypocrisy, what Jesus is saying here is doing religious things, practicing religious exercises, but doing them only for yourself and not for the glory of God. When we do this, we are failing to bring glory to God the Father, and instead we are robbing him of his glory and trying to take it only for ourselves. So last week we dealt with giving to the needy, and this week, and again for several weeks to come, we're going to study Jesus' teaching on prayer. Now after our first reading of this passage, it's important to know that Jesus was not discouraging his disciples against prayer, and he was not discouraging them against public prayer. As we will see, Jesus means to teach his disciples, to instruct his disciples on prayer, that prayer is the very lifeblood of the Christian life. Jesus expects his disciples to pray, to give, and to fast. But he encourages his disciples to do so with godly motives. So in our passage today, verses 5 through 8, Jesus means to teach his disciples the biblical principle that when we pray, we are to know that we are praying to our all-knowing heavenly Father. And so therefore, there's a a false way to pray, a a wrong way, and and a true way to pray. What Jesus refers to here is the secret way to pray. And so that's what we will look at in this passage. Look there at verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 5. In verse 5, Jesus is teaching the principle that a disciple must avoid ostentatious prayer. A disciple must avoid ostentatious prayer look what he says there again and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly i say to you they have received their reward so the first warning against false prayer here in this passage is against ostentatious prayer prayer that simply is all for show and to draw attention to yourself Prayer that is simply to attract the praise of man rather than to bring glory to God. And again, these were harsh words that Jesus reserved here for the Pharisees, the Pharisees who were only interested in bringing glory to themselves rather than God. You've heard me recommend from the pulpit before a very uh, heavy work of theology that We've also given to our children here at a baptism day called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in that Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones illustrates what this scene might look like for these Pharisees who were trying to draw attention to themselves in prayer. So listen to what she writes. In those days, there were, were some extra super holy people. At least that's what they thought. And they were called Pharisees. Every day, they would stand out there in the middle of the street and pray out loud in big, extra, super holy voices. They really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever, no one understood what they meant. People walking by would stop and stare, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra, super holy people wanted. They wanted everyone to say, look at them. They're so holy. God must love those people best. That's exactly what I envisioned here when Jesus was calling out this hypocritical, false form of prayer. This way of prayer practiced by the Pharisees, the hypocrites, was to bring attention to themselves rather than to the Lord. And so Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Do not be Do not look to the extra super holy people for a model on prayer. So if the Pharisees were not the model of public prayer, who was? How were we to model what a public prayer might look like? Well, Jesus wonderfully illustrates this principle in in a parable that he told. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Hold your place there in Matthew. And turn to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we see a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple going to pray. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, listen to God's word here. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't know what else to say besides that model of prayer that Jesus gives here. Rather than ostentatious prayer, rather than self-exalting prayer, Jesus calls his disciples to humble dependence upon him. Lord, I'm not worthy to stand in your presence. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Because a hypocrite seeks the praise of man rather than the glory of God their Father. And a hypocrite even does this in prayer. And so when Jesus says, truly, they have received their reward, he means that's it. The blessings, the rewards, the praise, whatever they're looking for, it's going to stop right there with the praise of man. That's it. Oh, look at them. Don't they have a nice public prayer? Ooh, I wish I could be like that. That's it. There will be no heavenly benefits. There will be no rewards from God the Father. The only reward that they will receive is praise from men, and God the Father will not honor they're hypocritical, flamboyant, theatrics of prayer. And so Jesus says, do not be like them. Do not look to the Pharisees as your model of prayer. But he gives another false way in verse 7. And the principle here is, a disciple must avoid vain babbling in prayer. It's the other false way to pray, a disciple must avoid vain babbling in prayer. Look in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So the second warning against false prayer in this passage are prayers full of empty phrases and many words, Jesus says. These are the prayers that model pagan or Gentile non-Christian prayers. They're Prayers that are based upon the belief that they will only be effective if they're constantly babbling and praying in some particular formula over and over and over and over and over. And so there would be pagans, foreigners, worshiping false gods mixed in in the culture among God's people who would also say prayers to their false gods. And Jesus says, do not model them. Because pagans think that the louder and longer that they pray, the greater their chance will be that their prayer will be answered by their God. When I read these words of Jesus, it reminded me of a story in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 18, some of you may recall the story of Elijah with the false prophets of Baal. Elijah challenged the priest of Baal to... to have them show if Baal had power and authority and could do what they said. So you may remember that he had them gather up fire and uh, logs to build a fire and say, you know, why don't you get Baal to call down fire from heaven and show that he has power? And so the priest of Baal accepted the challenge and they began to Cry aloud, the Bible says, and cut themselves as was their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them, and as midday passed, they raged on until time of the offering of the ablation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention so the the Bible is actually funny, this is a funny story. Elijah starts taunting them, <laughs> he starts taunting the the priest of Baal saying, cry loud, for he is a God. And he says, either he is musing or relieving himself, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So y'all need to go louder, pray louder, run around, dance louder. And you could just imagine Elijah sitting back there going, you you fools, (laughs) this is so funny. All the vain, empty babbling and wailing and dancing all these theatrics that the false prophets were doing, they, they did nothing. Nothing. Baal did not come to the rescue. Yahweh God did. And go read that story in First Kings 18. But that's what I imagine here when Jesus talks about battling and carrying on and on and on as the pagans do. Jesus is saying that a kingdom-minded disciple must avoid these theatrics, avoid babbling and carrying on in high and mighty and wordy prayers that are not honoring to God the Father. But modern examples of this form of vain babbling and repetition we see through other religions in our world. In different Eastern religions, they have prayer wheels, and so they turn them and turn them and turn them and pray and say weird things. You may have seen someone going around with a prayer clicker, making sure they get their right number of prayers in for the day. Perhaps you've seen a Catholic with the rosary, praying the prayers, uh, Hail Marys, over and over and over and over and over. Perhaps you've seen people that at a very set time of the day will turn to a certain direction and pray and never miss it. They're not coming here, are they, deacons? Okay, good. Just making sure. These are some modern forms from other religions, but there's also Protestant examples of this. I mean, we're not absolved from this, too, because I could stand up here today and say, you know, there's a new book out on prayer, and if you don't go get that book and you don't pray exactly the way that they say, then you're really not following the Lord. Or, hey, there's this this other new book, and it's based upon this real obscure prayer found in, you know, 1 Maccabees. This lost book of the Bible. And if you don't say this mantra over and over every day, God God won't bless you. We've heard things like that, right? And we need to be convicted of this. Because when we pray like this, when we fall into these traps, it speaks about our theology. When we believe these things and follow these things, it it, it tells a lot about our view of God. And I think the late late William Hendrickson said it best. He said, what Christ condemns with this form of praying is the spirit of fear and distrust. Because when we pray and we fall into these things, it's saying that we fear. We have fear and we don't trust the Lord, which he says causes the pagans who recognize no heavenly father to babble on and on and on in belief that otherwise their gods will not be thoroughly informed nor sufficiently placated to grant their request. As the brothers and sisters, we must see this morning, it is a thoroughly pagan idea to believe that the Lord God would thrive or even survive on repetition of prayers or some other kind of incantation a sincere prayer is not a wordy prayer or a man-made convic- conviction. I'm sorry, convention. So thankfully, our precious Savior does not just say, "Stop it! <laughs> Don't be like that." He takes the time to show us how and what to pray. Thank the Lord, He does this in verse six. Jesus shows us the first way of true prayer. A disciple must cultivate a healthy prayer life. A disciple must cultivate a healthy prayer life. Look in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus first shows us how to pray and then he shows us how we are to approach God in prayer. Because remember, it's a matter of the heart that Jesus is interested in. Jesus is not necessarily advocating that all prayer is to be totally closed off to the world and that we're never to pray in public. Rather, Jesus is addressing what prayer that is focused on the glory of God and not the praise of man looks like. J.C. Ryle says, In praying, the principal object to be sought is to be alone with God. Our prayers are to be about God and to him. John Calvin says, Christ admonishes us to always have God before our eyes when we engage in prayer. So Jesus is encouraging a healthy prayer life that consists of private prayer and communion with God, and this type of prayer is rewarding. There are blessings that come from being alone with God the Father in prayer. And so that's a question maybe for us this morning. What are you doing to cultivate alone time with God the Father? What are you doing to cultivate alone time in prayer with God the Father? We see from our Lord himself the example that he set, that he would often get up early in the morning before anyone awoke, and he would go off to pray and to be with his heavenly Father. I'm a big fan of the morning. There's something about the quietness of the morning before the day gets started, before the world awakes, maybe even before the sun comes up. King David even noticed this in one of his psalms. He says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. What are we doing to cultivate time and prayer alone with God the Father? Because if you spend more time praying in public rather than private, then we have to ask ourselves, are we seeking the approval of man or of God? We seek to have private time in prayer because this is the way that we grow as a disciple. Jesus tells us to do that. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be closer to God, your Father? Be with Him in prayer alone. That's the first true way of prayer that Jesus addresses here. And the last here is in verse 8. A disciple must be motivated in prayer by a heavenly father who knows them and cares for them. A disciple must be motivated in prayer because they have a heavenly father who knows them and cares for them. Look in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus secondly shows us how to pray by reminding us of who it is we're praying to. The disciple of Jesus Christ prays to the listening, all-knowing, heavenly Father. He is the heart-searching and all-knowing God who we get to pray to. How our prayer lives would be changed how our prayer lives would be utterly and completely transformed if we realize that the almighty, infinite God that we pray to is our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we pray, it is to be like a child going to their father. We go to him with simple, childlike faith. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us as we look at the Lord's Prayer down a little further in chapter 6. So, do you believe what Jesus says in verse 8? I mean, look at that. Look at that. Look at what he says there. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you believe that? This is not just conjecture. This is not a nice little saying to put on a wall calendar. This is gospel truth. This is a major theological truth proclaimed by our Lord. God the Father knows all things, he sees all things. And he knows what you need in prayer even before you ask. So, logically, the question may come up. So, if God already knows, why pray? What's the point? Well, I'm not going to tell you. No, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Quite simply, because he works through means. God works through means, he calls us to pray and in some mysterious and and glorious way we can't fully understand, our prayers and his will are intricately meshed together for his praise and for his grace and for our good. And so he works through means. He calls us to pray, and he will work through prayer. The most important thing that you and I must get when it comes to prayer is that we are praying to our heavenly Father. We're praying to a Father, a Father in heaven. We get to pray to the one who, before the foundation of the world, chose us in Jesus Christ to be adopted as his sons and daughters and to endow us with all the rights and privileges of a son and daughter. And we get, to the one, we get to come to pray to the one who hears us. He's not a distracted father on his cell phone that you know, sometimes hears us and sometimes doesn't. He is a listening heavenly father. And he smiles when we come to him. He smiles when we come to him in prayer because he knows exactly how he's going to meet our need. Whether it be food, whether it be healing, whether it be forgiveness, he knows. That's what Jesus is saying. Your father knows. What better comfort could we have in the Christian life than a heavenly father, our God, who knows. He knows all of our needs. He is aware of all of our needs. He knows. So let that comfort you this morning as you go to the Heavenly Father in prayer. He knows. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we read these words of Jesus and we think it sounds nice but not sure that we believe it that you know all things, that you know all of our needs, even before we come to you. But Father, convict us, help us to see that that is not a reason to not come to you, that is the reason to come to you, because you have called us to come before you, on our knees even, in prayer, and to, to cry out to Abba, Father. We thank you that you hear us because we are your children, and you delight to hear us. You you delight to take interest in our needs, and you delight that we come to you in prayer. And so we thank you that we have access to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the great work He did on the cross. And so help us, Father, help us. We praise you and thank you that you know us, that you know all things, and that you know what we bring to you even before we bring it. We worship you and praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.